0: Lord, we still need you to speak, we still need to hear your voice, especially in these times of uncertainty and times of, um, for many of us, um, an element of grief as we consider what it means to be called um, the church here in Raymond Terrace and knowing that there are parts of that that we're losing um, and we're uncertain about what, The weeks and months might hold for us. Some of us are grieving personal circumstances which are changing quickly. And so, Lord, will you speak to us? Will you minister to us this afternoon, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Um, Let me just share the way that I often prepare a sermon. And um, it normally starts sometimes a couple of weeks before I'm actually speaking. So I started looking at this passage a good couple of weeks ago. The world that we lived in a couple of weeks ago was very different to the world that we're living in today. Um, after I finished studying the passage and seeking God's purpose in what he has to say through it, I then, um, usually a couple of days later, or a couple of days before I speak, I sit down and write out. Um, an introduction I, I sit down and try and think through how I will start talking about uh, this passage and I wrote this on Thursday I said I want to acknowledge what a strange time we're living in that hasn't changed so I've only done one sentence then the next sentence is already it, it, it's already n- not valid anymore from Thursday to today It says, thank you for being here. We don't know how long we'll have this extraordinary grace. (laughs) That was Thursday. We lived in uncertain times, even on Thursday. We were saying, well, we're not sure. I'm not sure if we're going to be able to keep meeting like this or not. And then within 24 hours, we'd found out that we wouldn't be. And even further updates today that seem to indicate that life for all of us, not just church life, is going to be changing rapidly. I want to reassure you of a a few very important truths, though, especially in light of the world that we currently live in. First one is this. God's purposes have not been derailed in all of this, okay? I need you to understand that God is not sitting right now in heaven wringing his hands together and wondering, what are we going to do? God's not doing that. Now, I understand why and even that there's a very valid response that we might be doing that. But God is not like us. Thank God. Even even when we're anxious, okay, And, and let's be honest. I have been. Maybe you are. I've been feeling in the last week, the last two weeks, times where trying to keep a a track on what's changing. How's it going to impact my life? How's it going to impact my family's life? How's it going to impact our lives as a church together as we seek to follow after Jesus as a shepherd in this church? Someone who's God has given the responsibility amongst other guys here to help You, in your walk with Jesus, and the decisions that we're making are impacting you as well. I have felt those moments where I felt my my chest become tight and breathing becomes difficult. When, When my anxiety rises, I want to run away. That's how I respond to anxiety. I want to find a little cabin in the woods somewhere. And just be on my own, and I felt that this week. But I want you to hear this morning that even when our anxiety is rising, God's aren't. God's purposes have not been derailed. Here's the second thing I want you to know: God is still building His church. All right, God is still building His church. We are changing how we meet. You can see some of those changes even today. You know, the, the guys, some, some of the some of the guys and ladies are up on the normal sound desk. And then we've got these other riffraff down here, the crew doing a good job. We're we're moving towards thinking about how do we continue to record? How do we continue to uh, provide resources to the church even when we can't gather together? Changing how we meet and even when we meet. It's not an attack on what God is doing with his church, we are still the bride of Christ. We are still his body. And he's still preparing us to meet him face to face. God is still building his church. Third thing. Our mission has not changed. The church does not close. God's people... Still have a job to do. We are still committed to go into all the world and preach the gospel. That hasn't changed. We are still committed to going into all the world and making disciples, followers of Jesus Christ. That hasn't changed. We are still committed to being a sent people. And we're still committed to teaching everyone to observe everything that Jesus has commanded of us. And we are unshakably confident that Jesus is with us even to the end of the age. But in saying all of that, I'm sure that you've got questions about what tomorrow is going to hold. I do. What What's next week going to look like? What's the month after that going to look like? So how should we think about? How should we navigate? How should we plan to live in these really extraordinary days that we're in? And they're days of uncertainty. They're days of what's going to be enforced separation. Separation. of even social isolation, right? Where we sort of think, hey, it'd be great. How easy is it just to talk to someone and say, hey, I'll catch up with you. Let's all get together. It's quite possible that in the coming hours and days, we're going to find out we can't can't even do that in the way that we've been able to enjoy that in the past. So how should we think about this? How should we navigate this? I've got a few things that I think would be good for us to consider. First one is this. We need to navigate this time with humility with a sense of this is all new for us all of us for for all of us we've all got fears and we've all got anxieties about this we're all trying to figure this out as we go and so we walk together with humility because all of us are just trying to make the best of what we understand and the information that we've been given and so I'm asking you and I'm trying to remind myself, we need to cut each other some slack, right? We, we need to realize that, hey, we don't have this all together. and In fact, nobody does. And so let's try and work with each other in a way that's understanding and realize that we're going to get some stuff wrong along the way. We're going to maybe look back at this period of time in the future and we're going to sort of think, oh man, maybe we overreacted. Or maybe we're going to say, boy, we underreacted. But, but we're going to look back on it and say we didn't get everything right. So in knowing that, let's be humble with each other and show grace towards each other. Second thing I want you to take into consideration, apart from our humility, is we need to navigate this time with a sense of confidence God's not done with us yet. He's not done. And I'm I'm absolutely confident that that's true. Because if he were, if he was done with us, guess where we'd be today? We wouldn't be worshipping here. We'd be standing before the throne. The church would be gathered together and brought home. We'd be in the presence of Jesus, our Messiah. We'd be worshipping and singing with Billions of other believers from all across the world and from all across time. And we would be done, but we're not. We're here. So I'm confident that God is not done with us yet. That the church still has a job to do. There's something more that God is wanting us to be involved in. His church is still needed on earth. You are still needed on earth. You are still needed in your street. And in the relationships that God has sent you into, you're still needed there. So let's be humble in these days, but let's be confident in these days. God has still got something for us to do. Thirdly, I want us to try and think about this as an opportunity to walk forward with expectation. With expectation. God uses weak people. That's what the Bible says. Now, we often think, I need to have it all together so that God can use me. And I've got to get it all together so that I can be useful for God. But no, the Bible makes it abundantly clear, the most useful people for God are weak people. And guess what? That is good news. (laughs) Because why? Man, I feel weak. Most of us are at the moment. Most of the things that we feel most confident in, the things that we've been most sure about, all of those things are rapidly changing. And we feel weak and we feel uncertain maybe you feel out of your depth maybe you're feeling afraid maybe you feel like the cracks are beginning to show in our society and even the cracks are beginning to show in our own life well good good maybe that's what we needed maybe that's what god wants us to see The truth is, we have always been fragile clay vessels that have had a treasure within. We've always been weak. And maybe it's good for us to realize just how weak we are. Maybe we'll begin to see the strength of God shine through those cracks. Maybe that's what the world needs to see most. Maybe we'll learn to boast like Paul boasted when he said in 2 Corinthians 12, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ might rest in me. That's what our world needs most at the moment. They need to see the power of Christ at work. So let's boast in the fact that we are feeling really weak and we're feeling really out of our depth. We're scrambling But rather than being afraid of that, or being ashamed of that, that we might say before God, God, I'm willing to boast all the more in my weaknesses if that means that your strength shines through. Fourth thing, we're going to navigate this time ahead of us with listening ears. Like always, we will face these days with a hunger for God to speak. He has the words of eternal life. Do you remember that story when Jesus was teaching and Peter and his other disciples were with him and Jesus spoke about something that was really difficult was really challenging and people was like I'm not sure if this is for me and they started walking away and Jesus said to his disciples do you guys want to leave as well is this too difficult for you and Peter for all the things that he got wrong in his life for all the times that he opened up his mouth and sort of said stuff that was like mate you have no filter absolutely at all all right But for all those moments, I loved the fact that Peter was just willing to open up his mouth and just say what was on his mind. And in this situation, he couldn't have got it more right. Because he turned to Jesus and he said, well, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. You're where life comes from. So where else would we go? So for that reason, we're going to continue this this afternoon in just reflecting a little bit on the same series that we've been looking at for the last, well, since nearly the beginning of this year. We're going to continue our series called Back to the Beginning through the book of Genesis, and we're going to pick up the story of Joseph. So if you've got your Bible, I'd love it if you could get it out and turn to Genesis chapter 37, because that's where Joseph's story picks up. Genesis 37. I'm going to read to you just the opening part of this story. Just to refresh your memory and how it begins. And then we'll sort of do a bit of a recap. And then turn to how it finishes. Genesis chapter 37, starting from verse 1. I'm going to read from the English Standard Version. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojourning in the land of Canaan. Verse 2, these are the generations of Jacob. So just so you're you're refreshed in your memory, a few weeks ago we spoke about Abraham. And maybe you're familiar with him in the Bible. Um, He was the guy who God called out of his own country and said, I'm going to take you to a land that you don't know about yet. I want you to obey me and follow my direction. And he did. And he got there and then God said to him, I'm going to give you a family. I'm going to give you offspring. And he sort of looked around him and he had a wife who was... You know, in her nineties and he was an old man and and his wife couldn't have children and he had no children at all and he said, Well, how's that gonna be possible? And do you remember the time God took him out of his tent and asked him to look at the sky and said, Look up at the stars, Abram, count them. And Abram said, Well, I can't. And God said, That's the point. I'm gonna give you so many children, Abram. I'm gonna give you an offspring, I'm gonna give you a family and a heritage. Well, and eventually that promise came true and Abram had a son named Isaac. Isaac was the son of promise. Isaac grew up and he had a son and he named him, what? Jacob, one of them anyway. So Jacob was um, Abraham's grandson. As he got older, Jacob means deceiver. He was a deceptive young guy. Um, as he got older, he eventually came to a point where he had to really wrestle with God, and that wasn't just a metaphorical thing. He really wrestled with God. And God changed his name to Israel. So his name changed in that moment from Jacob to Israel. This is the same Jacob that we're reading about in chapter 37. These are the generations of Jacob, verse 2 says. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhar and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now Israel, same guy, Jacob, Israel. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any others of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now, Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I've dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field and behold, my sheaf rose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, behold, I've dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you've dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. And his father kept the sayings in mind. You might be familiar with the story of Joseph. There's parts of it that um, a lot of people are familiar with. They've made musicals about it and all sorts of things. That's where it starts in chapter 37. I think it's quite interesting that of all the characters in the book of Genesis, and there's lots of them, right? Very famous people that we understand about from the Bible. You know, Adam and Eve, and then there's, uh, there's Noah, right? Um, We have so many really well-known characters in the Bible and in the book of Genesis. But Moses, who wrote this book, he gives the most time and the most attention to this one story. It starts in chapter 37 and it goes all the way to chapter 50. By far, he gives it the most focus and the most attention, the most pages in your book of Genesis given to Joseph. And what happened with his life, which is really intriguing because he barely rates a mention in the rest of the Bible. He, he barely gets a mention in the entire rest of the Bible. But Moses gives so much attention to this story of Joseph. And it got me wondering why. Why is it that it was so important for Moses to give so much detail about this young guy's life and what happened to him? What is it that we, we should really not miss about this story? Let's do a little bit of a recap. So we've, we've read the beginning, right? We've read the part where Joseph's 17. Just a young guy. And he's got all, a bunch of older brothers. Um, there's 11 of them. Uh, 10 older ones and, and there's one younger brother, Benjamin. Um, he's got all these older brothers. And he's out there. Knowing that his dad loves him the most. Um, For you parents out there, that's number one rule. You're not supposed to have a favorite. Number two rule, if you do have a favorite, don't let the other children know that they're your favorite. Um, Joseph was undoubtedly the favorite. His dad's given him special clothes to wear. Everyone knew it, right? All the brothers knew it. Joseph is the favorite and not not only that is that Joseph is out there sort of saying hey guys I've had a dream you guys are all going to bow down to me all right and they're sort of just thinking man who are you you're just a little kid and um, it it grew from just jealousy and, and a bit of family rivalry and it became actually a serious problem right I mean, the older brothers actually get to the point where they weren't just sort of saying, oh, let's steal his chocolate so he doesn't know where it is. I mean, this got really serious. It was, let's kill him. Let's let's actually do away with this guy. Let's make it look like an accident. Let's slaughter him in the bush and then tear his robes up and spill blood on it. And then we'll take it back to dad and we'll say, oh, a lion ate him or something, you know, and And so they they get this plan in mind. They capture him. They beat him. They throw him in a well. And then they're going to come back later that day to finish him off. One of the brothers says, no, 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 we, we shouldn't do that. Let's at least make some money out of him. We'll sell him to slave traders. And so they did. They dragged him out of a pit. They sold him to some slave traders who took him to Egypt, right? They sold him in a slave market. In Egypt, he's a young 17-year-old guy, ripped out of his family, rejected by his brothers, taken to a foreign land, sold on the slave market. A man named Potiphar, a really high official in the king's government, buys him. And things seem to be alright, he's still a slave, but... I mean, he's um, doing well in Potiphar's house, until, of course, Potiphar's wife, who didn't want to practice social distancing at all, she says, Hey, come on, Joseph, uh, I need you to keep me warm. I need you to hang out with me. She said some more things. Uh, Joseph got the idea. Um, this woman was up to no good. Joseph tries to get himself out of that situation He tells her, I'm not interested, I can't. It's the wrong thing to do to Potiphar. It's the wrong thing to do to God. It's certainly the wrong thing to do for you. And eventually she was very insistent until one day she actually sort of tried to force him. And he strips away his outer clothing and and does the bolt. He runs. Um, She makes false accusations against him. He's arrested. He's a slave, he has no trial, he has no defense, he's thrown into prison and he rots in prison for years. Unjustly treated, unjustly dealt with, paying for a crime that he never committed. Until eventually he meets two guys in prison who have had dreams and they used to work for the king, right? Right? They used to work for Pharaoh, and they both have dreams. And and he says to them, "God's, God's told me about your dreams, and I can tell you what they mean. And so he explains to them. One of them, unfortunately, his dream meant that he was going to be executed the next day. And that happened. And the other guy, his dream meant that he was going to be released from prison and reinstated to his position of service to the king. And Joseph said to him, look, put in a good word to the king for me when you get out there. Yeah, no worries, Joe. I'll do that. And he never did. And and Joseph stays in prison, continues to rot until the king has a dream, right? And the king's dream was that there were seven fat, sleek, healthy cows and they, they come up out of the Nile, the river that runs through the middle of Egypt. And he was sort of, oh, that's amazing. And then seven skinny and sickly sort of cows came out and they ate the healthy cows. He woke up from his dream wondering what it could all mean. He has another dream about seven healthy ears of wheat, followed by seven sickly, sort of um, drought stricken types of wheat, and the wheat eat the good wheat. This is very confusing. I don't know what it means. He gets every smart guy, every magician, every um, uh, advisor to come and tell him what it means. And no one could until eventually the guy that had been released from prison eventually remembers Joseph. Oh, I know a guy that's good with dreams. So Joseph is brought out. What's the dream mean? And God gives him the revelation of what the dream is. And he's able to say, listen, we're about to enter into seven prosperous good years. But following those seven years, there's going to be an incredible drought. It's going to infect everyone. The whole world will be changed by this. And Pharaoh's impressed and elevates this foreign person who had been rotting in a jail... To the second highest position in all the land under his own authority. And there he guides the nation of Egypt through these seven prosperous years and into seven hard years of famine and drought. Until the drought starts to affect all the other nations. And a long way away in Cana, his own family begin to feel the effect of this drought, and they're starving and they're fearful. They're worried about what tomorrow would hold. And they hear Egypt has food. Egypt's got food. And so the 10 older brothers gather up a little posse and they go down to Egypt. And they arrive at the gates of the Pharaoh's castle, his palace. And who should meet them but Joseph? They don't know it's him though. A lot of years have passed. He's probably got eyeliner on. They can't tell it's him, but he knows it's them. And they bow down to him. And they beg for food. He gives it to them. And they go home, but he says they need to come back. And they do. And then it sort of reads like a couple of episodes of the Days of Our Lives... There's all this backwards and forwards and tricks being played. and but At the end of the day, all the brothers come back and they find out that it's their brother, Joseph. Fearful and worried. And Joseph embraces them and loves them and cares for them. And they live in the land of Egypt. Why don't you grab your Bibles and turn to the very last chapter of the book of Genesis. I'm going to read just the last chapter little bit of the book genesis chapter 50 starting from verse 15 they've been living in egypt now for quite some time uh, their father had moved down there and lived with them as well jacob or israel and he has just died verse 15 of chapter 50 when joseph's brother saw that their father was dead Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. The remaining verses of that chapter explain that Joseph continued to live there until he reached 110 years old. And he died. And he said to his brothers and his descendants, One day, one day God's going to take us back home. And when when you do go home, make sure that you take my bones with you. Carry them home back to Canaan. And it says there that he died at 110 years old in verse 26 and they embalmed him and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. But from verse from chapter 37 all the way to chapter 50, we get this story, this amazing story of Joseph. Here's what I think is a take home from this. If I was to try and summarize this story, and then sort of just to make a couple of observations before we finish. God, God's sovereignty, which means his rule and his power and his authority, God's sovereignty is one of the main themes in Joseph's story. Because God wants us to see... How he puts himself into impossible situations, and yet still finds a way to keep his promises. He puts himself into impossible situations, and yet he still keeps his promises. I think that's the point of the story of Joseph. Joseph highlights how God's providence, the way he acts towards us, it highlights... How God's providence secures his promises. And here's a couple of ways that I think he does that through the story of Joseph. To me, there are so many echoes of the whole story of the Bible condensed into this one story in Joseph. Right at the beginning of the story of the Bible, in the early parts of Genesis, you find this uh, family With two sons, right? Cain and Abel. And family tensions and violence start to erupt until one son kills the other. In Joseph's story, we see a a story of the way that family violence and tension start to erupt until there was the threat that they would kill this boy, this other brother. But he wasn't killed in Joseph's story. He was beaten and unfairly treated. He was kept imprisoned. He was sold into slavery. He was unfairly and unjustly um, not only treated, but they made accusations against him which were not true. We see that he was um, bearing uh, a condemnation or or bearing a punishment for something that he, he never did. We see that he grows up and becomes into a position where he actually has an opportunity now to provide with something good the very people who mistreated him, the brothers. That so many years earlier, these brothers who had beaten him, enslaved him, rejected him, then find themselves in a position where they're on their knees before him and the dreams that we read about in chapter 37 come true. And there they are, kneeling before him, and he was in every every opportunity, right, to extract revenge. If, if this was just a human story, isn't that how we probably would have responded. Hey, hang on. You're the brothers who beat me, ditched me, literally, threw me me into a well, sold me to slave traders, lied about it to my father and said that I died. He's been grieving all these years. And now you want me to give you food? But the way that Joseph responds to that is this beautiful picture of Christ. The ones who beat Jesus. The the ones who whipped him. The ones who falsely accused him. The ones who were enemies with him. The ones who rejected him. The ones who pointed in. In the courts of Pilate and said. We won't have this man rule over us. Crucify him. Just hours later. Jesus is lifted up onto a cross. And the very people. Who had driven the spikes into his hands. Jesus hangs on the cross. And he looks down at them. And he says. Father. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Joseph gives us. A little picture of what it's going to look like when the Messiah arrives. If we start at the beginning of Genesis. And if we didn't know that Jesus was going to show up in the story. Joseph gives us a little picture to say. You know what? Jesus is going to look a bit like this. Rejected by his brothers but ends up providing for them. Sold and falsely accused and left for dead. But elevated into authority. Joseph, the young boy out in the field who becomes all but the king of the world. And through his wisdom and through his leadership and through his kingly direction saves the world. Joseph gives us a picture that points us to Jesus. And then Jesus arrives, and he's even better. We live in these very uncertain and difficult times. Joseph's story helps us see that God injects himself into impossible situations to prove that he can keep his promises. You think about Joseph's story for a moment. It goes from bad to worse. All right? He was kind of annoying. Let's I mean you think about it. 17 year old. We've we got to be honest. The, the story of Genesis paints Joseph in a pretty good light. We don't ever read anything like and he sinned against the Lord by doing this. We, he's, a, he's a good guy. But let's think about 17 year old Joseph for a moment. He's annoying. I mean, he's out in the field. Hey, brothers, I had another dream. Oh, did you? Yeah, this one you were all bowing to me. I mean, he was kind of annoying. But it starts this, this son who's loved, but you sort of think, really, is that what he deserved? To be beaten and sold into slavery? Left for dead, then sold into slavery in Egypt? Then falsely accused, imprisoned. It just gets bad and bad and then worse. And we sort of think, is it can it get any worse than this? And then it does. And maybe right now you're looking at the world that you're living in, you're thinking, can it get much worse? And maybe it will. Maybe it will. But I want you to hear this morning as we think about, this afternoon as we think about Joseph's story. God is saying to us, listen, I specialize in bad situations. I specialize in impossible situations. It's where God injects himself into the story and says, you watch how I keep my promise. And he has said he will never leave or forsake us. And you can be confident that he is still at work. He is still doing something. God's purposes have not been derailed. This is how we began. God is still building his church. And our mission has not changed. You know that I love C.S. Lewis. You know that I enjoy reading The Chronicles of Narnia. This is a good opportunity to read The Chronicles of Read books when you're in isolation, okay? I heard a friend of mine said today, books don't buffer. (laughs) You don't have have to worry about bandwidth, all right, or whether your internet's working. Pick up a book and read. A good one is to read The Chronicles of Narnia. I I love the story in The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe where um, the Pavensi children... Start to look around them, and they can see they can see that Aslan is on the move. Things look bleak. If you watch the news and, and spend your entire life on your social media feed, things look bleak. but I want to tell you aslan 's on the move. God is on the move, and there are plenty of opportunities for us to see the way that he's going to inject himself into these very difficult circumstances, what seemingly feel impossible circumstances. And just like he did with Joseph, just like he has done since the dawn of time, he's a God who's going to say, you just watch. I haven't finished yet. You can trust my promises. Let's pray. Father, thank you for meeting with us. Thank you for ministering to us, to speaking with us. We thank you for the opportunity, while we have it, to stand together, to open our mouth, to declare your praises. You are a God who has stepped into impossible situations to prove yourself faithful, that your promises are sure. And so we cling to that today. We look to you. You are where our help comes from. We hold on to you. You have the words of eternal life. So Lord, as we gather what may be for the last time like this, for we don't know how long, we don't lose heart. Mm. You are our God. You deserve honor and praise. You are worthy. Mm. And you remain that. And so we look to you. In Jesus' name. Amen.